This is Oklahoma football. All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Polson. The gang is all here tonight as we close the book on another chapter of Oklahoma basketball and talk some OU football as the Sooners are back on the practice field this week, getting their spring camp underway. Adam, Corbin, boys, how are we doing? How's your week been? What's going on? It's been good. I'm I'm glad that the weather is finally turning. Baseball is really hitting its stride, even with the loss last night. Um, there's just a lot going on with OU sports right now. Yeah, guys, just, uh, you know, about to head into baseball season. And uh, echoing what Adam said, it seems like OU uh, baseball has really turned a corner right on cue for Adam. I think you what, predicted a couple weeks ago. A couple wins turned everything around. So, um, so yeah, I seem to be playing better. Excited for more college basketball this weekend. But, yeah, I got a lot, a lot to get into tonight. Yeah, we, we knew that the baseball team was uh, trying to find their stride. Obviously, we knew that we, they had a pretty good lineup. Now it seems like the pitching rotation is kind of catching up to it. They're playing some pretty complete baseball. So OU baseball is killing it right now. We all know about OU softball. Just They just keep on rolling. So uh, we'll, it's going to be fun watching, watching Patty's crew um, going up to Iowa State, their first conference matchup this weekend. So that'll be a lot of fun to see. Uh, guys, when, when I was sitting at home last night kind of putting the script together, I knew that we were going to talk some OU basketball, talking about the NCAA performance the win over Missouri the the tough loss against Gonzaga we'll definitely dive into that but of course um, once we got done with lunch today some news kind of started to break on Twitter obviously uh, OU men's basketball coach Long Kruger has made the decision to retire Um, so obviously extremely happy for him but that leaves a pretty big hole and some pretty big shoes that have to be filled here in Norman so we'll dive into that here in just a sec but guys let's start with the with March Madness NCAA tournament, OU uh, again wins their opening round game against Missouri. Uh, really nice win after what was a pretty pretty tough uh, closeout to the regular season. They beat Missouri, obviously put them in a position where they had to take on the number one overall seed in Gonzaga and Corbin. Just you know, t- take it away, man. What were your thoughts on the game against Gonzaga? Obviously, um, not the outcome that we were hoping for, but obviously we're realistic here, and you know it, it was going to be a pretty pretty tough ask for for them to, to uh, upset Gonzaga uh, this past weekend. Yeah, you got to love the fight from them. I mean, they came out swinging, never stopped, uh, almost covered. I did take Gonzaga minus fourteen and a half, so I was happy after that game in a weird way. Um, but you know they they hung with the best team in the country, um, and so you got to tip your cap there. Uh, they didn't get any favors from the the stripes crew down the stretch. So I didn't think the refs helped out OU at all. I don't think OU is going to win if the refs were more even, but they, they had some pretty, pretty tough calls, uh, you know, throughout that game that really favored Gonzaga. But guys, I have no issue with OU losing to Gonzaga in the second round. It was more about those past, those last, you know, four or five games down the stretch that they didn't have to be in this position. They didn't have to be in the position to play Gonzaga in the second round. This could have been a Sweet 16 team if they would have played like they did against Missouri, like they did against Gonzaga down the stretch. They didn't. They get a matchup, you know, with the best team in the country in the second round, and that's what happens. Yeah, it's frustrating, especially for my Monday afternoon to have to watch that and start the week off that way. But what you said is spot on, Corbin. Uh, this team put themselves in that position, and. Uh, when you're playing the best team in the country, it's going to be near impossible to win, uh, you know, with, with what, you know, they're going up against. So 
Um, really wish that this team could have finished the regular season a little bit stronger and put themselves in a much better position to maybe get to the Sweet 16 to have that momentum going in. So uh, tough, tough loss and tough way to end the year, but it's kind of the path we all saw coming. I didn't think that we had probably any chance to beat Gonzaga. Obviously, when you get into a game like that where it's kind of a David and Goliath, Goliath type matchup, um, you've got to get some breaks. You got to have some calls go your way, and that was—I I can't remember the last time I watched a basketball game where an offensive player can throw an elbow on three separate occasions, and the other team's guy be called for the foul. So, uh, one, one of the most poorly officiated games that I've seen in a long time. Don't think it really was going to make a difference in the outcome of the game, uh, but just w- once the game was over, you, you just kind of had to be you know, pretty happy about the overall performance of that team. They had every excuse to lay down. You know, they closed out the regular season in a pretty bad way, got bounced from the from the conference tournament. Devion Harmon test positive for COVID, your second leading score. He's not there. They had every reason to throw in the towel. But honestly, it, it, it's kind of crazy looking back at it when they, they lose by 16, but I thought that they played extremely well. I thought that that was Austin Reeves, probably his best game of the year. They got some uh, good contributions uh, from a couple other guys. Uh, Mo Gibson, Elijah Harkless played extremely well. Um, and, and guys, when, when you look back at it, and obviously we'll get to Coach Kruger here in a second, wh- one of the things that, that we've kind of wanted to talk about was you know giving this team a grade, assessing this team's overall performance for the entire year, both from you know uh, non-conference all the way up to the obviously the loss against Gonzaga. So, Adam, back to you. If you were going to hand out a grade for for this long Kruger coach team, what ends up being his final team here in Norman, what what would you start it out with? I mean, what is the average grade? Like a B minus or a C plus, maybe? That's exactly B minus is exactly what I had it at. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying not to let like the last stretch of games here really sour the taste in my mouth. So and not put him down to a B plus or a, or a C plus. I'll give him a B minus, I guess. It was just about average. It's what we've come to expect over the last, um, the majority of, of the long Kruger era was, you know, a, a pretty solid year. We beat some teams we shouldn't. We lose to some teams we shouldn't as well. We make it to the tournament. We get bounced in the second round. It's just about average, I guess. Corbin? Yeah, I had it at a, at a B. Uh, I thought about a B minus. I think we're kind of all on the same page there. You, you have to take the good with the bad. I mean, this t- team beat four top 10 teams in a row uh, in January, made it into a top 10 ranking at that time, guys, I think we were all like, goodness, you know, this team's put it together. They're peaking like this is one of the best teams in the country, Uh, you know, and they didn't finish down the stretch, but you know, this was a team that was predicted to be, I believe seventh preseason in big 12 rankings. That's what they got. Um, They won an NCAA tournament game, you know, against the most even matchup of the entire tournament. And, you know, got a bad matchup in the second round. So, yeah, I think it's a B. Um, had a chance to be a, a lot higher grade, but, you know, as you got to take the good with the bad, you got to take the bad with the good, too. It was definitely a tale of, of two seasons, almost kind of like built up in one. They started off, you know, really, really hot, climbing all the way to number seven in the country. And then kind of what we've been accustomed to seeing, you know, more often than not over the last decade is this team starts out really, really strong. And then you get to the last month of the year and they kind of kind of collapse and lose a few games they shouldn't um, and kind of limp into the NCAA tournament. But I, uh, again, um, I, I got to give them a B minus. I almost gave them a B plus just because of how hard they fought and how competitive they were against Gonzaga. Um, but I, one of the things, guys, that we, we continue to talk about all season long, one of the things that we knew that was ultimately going to come back to bite OU in the butt was when they finally played a team that had a, you know, a, a 
huge presence on the inside in a traditional five man. And I thought, um, obviously, when the matchup came out against Gonzaga, we knew that it was going to be an uphill climb. But watching what Drew Timmy did against Kirk Waith and Brady Manick, you know, averaging thir- having 30 points, 13 rebounds, career high in both categories, it was only a matter of time before something like that happened. But um, overall, pretty you got to be pretty proud of this team in a, in a COVID-type year. They played well, climbed all the way to number seven. Uh, very, very entertaining. I think that this was one of my one of the most fun OU teams um, over the last decade in the Kruger area. Uh, they were a lot of fun to watch, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a little different now. Uh, and then, guys, one last thing that I want to touch on: a couple guys that make up the current roster right now: Brady Manick and Austin and Austin Reeves, two guys that you know they are seniors. They particip- participated in the Senior Day ceremony. Obviously, with COVID right now, they do have a chance to come back for another year of eligibility to play guys. Now, I guess we can look at it knowing that coach Kruger is retiring and moving on. What does that do for a guy like Austin Reeves or a guy like Brady Manick, two guys that maybe aren't quite at the level to play in the NBA yet, but obviously they have a chance to, you know, maybe play overseas or play at the next level in some form or fashion. I think Austin Reeves was gone regardless. And he's the type of guy that I, I don't think he is a second round pick quite yet. There's some hype around him, but not enough to like solidify in my mind. But I think he's a guy that can maybe make a G League team, maybe get some two-way type of contracts and try to prove himself short-term. Uh, if not, then he's, there's a lot of money to be made overseas. So I think he's gone. Mannix, a guy that's a little bit harder to read. Uh, I have no clue which way he's going to go. Yeah, for me, I think Austin Reeves, I think he is going to get drafted. I've seen a couple reports by some somewhat credible uh, sources saying that he's, you know, one of the top 40 draft prospects. Um, The dude can score the ball, man. He can. And in the NBA, that matters. But I think, let's not get it twisted, second-round picks in the NBA, from what I've seen, rarely actually make it to the league and have a long-standing career. Um, The NBA draft is just so top-heavy, and there's only five spots on the floor in comparison to what you're seeing, like, in the NFL. And MLB and NHL and so many other sports that have to have so many more players. Um, so I think Reeves probably goes pro. He would have had such a great opportunity to replicate, I think, what Buddy did going from his junior to senior year. Buddy came back and he was kind of around that same, you know, late first round, early second round draft grade, came back, went on the final four run, ends up being, you know, a really high first round draft pick. He Austin has the chance to do that. The difference is I don't think you do that when your head coach leaves. Um, and so, yeah, and I think shifting to, to Brady Manick, Brady's never um, come across as a guy who just lives and breathes basketball. Um, I don't think that is his future. I, I could be wrong. I don't know him personally, um, but I'd be surprised if he comes back, whether he goes and, and plays with his brother at a smaller school, whether he you know moves on, just gets started with his career outside of basketball. I, I think that's more likely, but, you know, if he comes back, he comes back, and, and that would be, you know, as much as he's had an up-and-down career, that's a pretty solid piece to come back heading into next season. I think that Lawn retiring is almost kind of the final uh, final push that, that Brady might need to make the decision. You know, obviously, he is going to have one more year to play if he chooses to do so. Why not go? If, if basketball is not going to be your career after, after college, why not go to a smaller school, play with your brother, create those memories, and have one last run in a smaller school? Obviously, with, with Austin – Tremendous score of the basketball. We all know in the NBA, like you said, Corbin, if you can if you can score, they'll find a place for you. So if Austin, if he can shoot the three ball, 
that he's gonna he's gonna have a chance to make a roster somewhere. So even if even if that's not in the NBA, um, you can have a chance to make some pretty good cash playing overseas. There's a lot of good opportunity there, and again, as good of an all around basketball player as he is, especially on the offensive end. Um, I think that the future is extremely bright for Austin Reeves, no matter what he decides to do. So, um, well, guys, I, I think that's a good way to kind of put the bow, uh, put a bow on the on the 2020, 2021 season. Obviously, we want to get into Coach Kruger deciding to retire. That news got broke earlier this afternoon, stepping down after 10 fantastic years here in Norman. You know, obviously, ultimately, I think, you know, he you can make the argument that he kind of saved the program, kind of bringing it out of the the darkness that happened with, you know, the the stuff with, you know, Kelvin Sampson towards the end, the Jeff Capel era. Um, it was a really good brain of basketball. And I think that, uh, like I said, it's going to be a pr- some pretty big shoes to be filled uh, for whoever the next man or woman is that steps foot here in Norman. So, Corbin, I want to start with you. Obviously, you're pretty well connected to Coach Kruger, spending some time uh, in the past, you know, around the team and within that program. So just talk a little bit about Lon, maybe the impact that, you know, he had on those teams, maybe yourself individually being around the program, and maybe give us a good Lon story or two. Yeah, it's – it's a it's a sad day in a lot of fronts. Um, I'm I'm so excited for Coach Kruger and Barb and that whole Kruger family. But you know that's a that's a big loss and and maybe more so than anything off the court in Norman. Uh, Lon is the, the the probably the best man I've ever met as far as his human decency goes. Um, I had a buddy of mine tweet out. I thought he said it perfectly. He he always made you feel like you were the most important person in the room. When I went in and, um, you know, was applying to be a student equipment manager, Lon knew my name before I had ever been introduced to Lon. And so, I mean, that's just the type of guy. I mean, I owe so much of of what I've done in my career, especially within OU Athletics. Like that, that's all Lon. Lon opened the door, uh, not only for to be a equipment manager, but then to go into to grad school and be a marketing GA and even going on to legends and premium seating areas with, with OU football. So I, I, I owe a ton to him. Uh, yeah. And I could tell you story after story. Um, but there were, there were a couple that really were my, my favorite. And if you want to know who Lon is, um, the best example I, I can give was we were at the golf tournament portion of the OU alumni weekend, all the players come back. It's a big donor event. It's, it's a huge weekend to kind of get everybody around. And, uh, at, at that time in the morning, I was responsible for taking pictures of, of lawn and all the groups that were coming through to play golf, really important deal, a chance to show face to donors, have them pull out their checkbooks. And, uh, as a lot of people I think saw over the, over the weekend, uh, his, his granddaughter had, had FaceTimed him. Um, and Lon was literally, I had the camera up about to take a picture sees the FaceTime, sees who it is and says, guys, hang on a second. I got to take this. I thought it was something serious. Like who does that with a bunch of donors standing around? And no, it was Lon's granddaughter FaceTiming him. And he told all the donors at the golf course, like they can, you know, hold on while he takes care of his family. And that was one of, I've never seen a coach of of that stature in that position, do something like that. Um, And at the same time, like it also wasn't a surprise. And I know another one for me guys, and this is very a simple one. Long years ago, he, he wrote on my Facebook on my birthday, happy birthday, hope it's a great day. T- tell me what Division One basketball coach would, would go to somebody's Facebook as a student equipment manager and like just write happy birthday. It, it took two seconds, but like who does that at that level? You know, so I mean, I, I could go on and on just about how he took care of, you know, his staff and his players and his team. Um, but the thing about him is, 
there's a lot of coaches that are one way in the public and they're another way behind closed doors. And that's the exact opposite of Lon. He was through and through exactly who he was, um, regardless of the time of day, time of year, good game, bad game. There was consistency all the way through, and that was genuine kindness. Um, don't take that for granted. Do as a competitor, competitor for sure. Um, but as far as decency and humanity, he is the absolute staple for what everybody should be. Yeah, and I'll, I'll echo that. I don't have a whole lot of direct stories with uh, with Lon like you do, Corbin, or, or maybe you do, Tyler. But I know for sure just in working in the ticket office, anything that we ever needed to try to uh, get people more involved with basketball, any way that he could serve us in the ticket office or serve the fans or uh, serve youth basketball teams, he was willing to do that. He was willing to take time out of his day. Um, right before the game, you know, share the game plan with whoever was showing up that wanted to uh, come out to the games. He was willing to do that. And so I think that's just a testament to what a good leader is, is there's someone that's always constantly looking for ways to serve and improve other people's lives. So um, he did so many good things here at Oklahoma and uh, he'll be missed uh, for sure. Uh, He'll be remembered fondly. And um, I think it's, it's perfect timing on his part as far as retiring and um, you know, he was here for the perfect amount of time to really do a lot of great things, both on the court and off the court in Norman. I think that we could spend an entire podcast talking about some of our favorite memories, some of our favorite, you know, accomplishments of what Lon did, you know, d- during the season from a competitive standpoint, <clears throat> his overall impact, wins, losses, final fours. Um, you know, we can talk about all the tremendous uh, teams, all the the tremendous players that he's had, Buddy, Trey, Spangler, all those guys. But for me, kind of like what you were saying, Corbin, the, the the guy that you saw on the sideline, you know, the nice smiling face, it, he, was an, he was a tremendous coach, but he was an even better person. And kind of the story, my first introduction to Lon was whenever I transferred up here to go to OU, and that's kind of how I met you, Corbin, becoming a marketing intern. And as big of a diehard OU fan as I am, it's always been about football. I had never been to the Lloyd Noble Center, so – being a marketing intern when I got assigned the first basketball game of the year. That's the first time I'd ever been to the LNC. So the first job that I had was going back to the main storage room, box full of rolled up t-shirts, the the big fat heads that we always distributed out to the student section. I grabbed a box of t-shirts that was open, stuck six or eight of the fat heads on there, started to go down to the tunnel area. And as you guys know, being, being in the LNC, the that's kind of a tough kind of a tough tunnel to navigate straight downhill and i can remember uh michael Byrne coming up and telling me you need to go up there to the entrance and get your credentials so i'm sitting here carrying this box with all this stuff on top of it i go all the way up to the top of the tunnel grab my credential and as i'm going down right there on the right hand side is kind of the training room where guys go in there get taped up see the trainer as i'm looking in there i don't trip and fall but i kind of bump myself all the fat heads fall down some of the t-shirts come out I'm kind of embarrassed first day and whatnot. Coach Kruger comes out of the training room and starts helping me pick stuff up. And I, we get it, get everything sorted out. And I look up to him and, you know, he's got that big lawn, shitty grin on his face, just happier than hell. I don't think he's ever had a bad day. And I say, appreciate that, coach. You know, good luck tonight. And he says, he says, thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you, too. And I said, well, coach, I'm, I'm not playing or coaching tonight. What are you telling me good luck for? He was like, well, you, you're you know, part of the staff, you're part of this too. Uh, ha- have a good game tonight. So I just thought, you know, little old me as a, as a damn marketing intern, here he is taking time out of his uh, pregame schedule, come out here, help a kid out, 
and and wish him luck um, as an intern as an intern in what we were doing uh, as far as performance wise goes throughout the game. So tremendous coach, even better player. I I think one of the things that we've seen throughout social media all afternoon is whether it's former players, former coaches. You know, there's Roy Williams, Tom Izzo's put some stuff out there. There's probably not a better coach in all of college basketball when you talk about as a competitor, as a man, as a leader, as a mentor. Um, so obviously uh, here in Norman, anybody that's been around the program, fans, anybody, um, you should be pretty sad tonight, but you, you should also be pretty damn thankful that we've had somebody like Lon Kruger being a part uh, of the men's basketball program here in Norman for 10 years. Not just what he did as a coach, but what he did for the community uh, through all of his different charity foundations, coaches versus cancer, kind of being the uh, the leader as far as that movement goes. So um Big big loss for OU uh, OU basketball and the OU community as a whole. It's going to be some big shoes to fill. So, um, guys, anything else about Lon um, before we put a bow on that, Corbin? You got anything else, man? Yeah, I'd just say, you know, to add to that, you know, congrats to, to Kevin, his son, uh, you know, announced the head coach at, at UNLV, which is where Kevin played and Lon coached there for a bit. And, uh, you know, Lon's got a, a nice little house that uh, he's heading out to Vegas to. So uh, he's really going to suffer in, in – you can look that up on, on your own if you're listening. I've seen some pictures. Yeah. He'll do all right. He'll be okay. Emphasis on little. Yeah, <laughs> little how. So, but but guys, let's uh, let's transition over here. Uh, let's talk some OU football. Kind of the biggest story that's been in the in the news media this past week. Gary Patterson the other day was asked about if Chandler Morris was going to be available for the 2021 season, and his response was, "Well, Oklahoma hasn't released him yet." And guys, once Patterson threw this out there, and it was reported, the national media, as they tend to do, they they kind of took it and ran with it. We've we've seen guys like Andy Staples, David Ubbin, Mike Farrell and a handful of others basically dragged Lincoln and Oklahoma through the mud over the past few days. And Lincoln came out yesterday and said that, you know, he stands by his, he stands by his decision, thinks that it's not good for college football to, to allow players to transfer within their own conference and be eligible immediately. So, Adam, starting with you, what side are you on in this one? And do you think that, um, do you think that this is a good rule? I, I side with Lincoln Riley on this one. I you know, I kind of look at it before and, uh, you know, five years ago when a player transferred out of conference, it was a one year sit, uh, situation. Whereas now, uh, and I guess in conference, it was a two years sitting out situation. Um, now it's zero years everywhere. And so I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that, especially when you're OU and you're at the top of the conference and everyone wants a piece of you and they're willing to do whatever it takes to, to knock you off, whether that's taking a backup quarterback, maybe taking an assistant coach, making them a head coach. There's so much that, that can you know happen there. And so I would rather err on the side of caution uh, like Lincoln Riley is where, hey, don't tamper with my guys. Don't try to get them to come to your school or whatever it might be. And it sounds like there is some some tampering potentially going on uh, with this situation, and he might be a little upset about that. So I see what he's saying, and I think that one year rule to sit out for in conference is is fair. You know, there's other schools in Texas he could go to. There's other schools in DFW that he could go to where he wouldn't have to sit out that are not Big Twelve schools. So I feel like it's it's not too uh, too harsh of a penalty. I'm leaning the other way. I'm not necessarily like slammed the door like this is ridiculous, but I'm close. Um, what Lincoln Riley is saying is correct. It's not good for the sport. 
but we're past that. That was that was five, 10 years ago where this was a little more real. It was a little more of the day and age, but like this is kind of the old man Lincoln that I haven't seen before. And let's let's be clear, guys. This isn't the first time there's been petty drama between OU and TCU over the years since Lincoln Riley's been in town, whether that's from a player front or a coaching front. Um, here's here's my issue with it. One on the front of thinking of Chandler first. All right. He comes to OU after a terrible situation of his dad losing his coaching job. It's kind of left out to dry as far as where he's going to show up. Decides not only to come to Oklahoma, but he's going to follow in the recruiting class right after Oklahoma gets the number one QB in Spencer Rattler and then the class before. And is on the verge of locking up the number one quarterback in the following class in Caleb Williams. So he's in a lose-lose situation already from the start. Decides to come to Oklahoma anyway, learn under Lincoln Riley. And now he is being, forget all the politics, forget all the conference, but he's being punished for deciding to come to OU. I don't get it. That's not something I think is right. I think the big issue I have there is if any of the assistant coaches decided to pick up and leave and go to TCU, they'd be coaching the second their feet stepped on the ground in Fort Worth. Why can a coach do that, but a player can't? I can't, I, I can't wrap my head around that. I don't think it's going to be a, a wild, wild west um, in a sense where you know people are just transferring like crazy. I think this past year, this upcoming year, it's probably going to be more of the exception with everything we've dealt with with COVID. Um, and I think if I'm Lincoln, where I do agree with him on, on a couple things is, is the reality of someone at a uh, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, that is going to be skilled enough to leave that school and come to Oklahoma is going to be very, very few and far between. The reverse factor of that is going to be a lot more common. And so now you're going to see, I think, Oklahoma players leaving to other schools within the Big 12, especially if they're from Texas. But guys, at the end of the day, I think this rule is, is, is ancient. The players have too much power for this now. And I think the only thing this is doing is going to allow other coaches to negatively recruit Oklahoma and negatively recruit Lincoln Riley because this rule will not stand. Lincoln's not going to win this, so there's no reason to, to stir this up. That's my opinion. Here's the thing on this for me, and again, kind of want to slow down here. There's a, a lot that I kind of want to say on this. So I want to make sure that I kind of put this in in the right uh, in the right words. This this rule has been in effect for a number of years. I mean, Chandler Morris he signed a scholarship to play at Oklahoma. He played a year. He got some snaps. He knew he was coming in behind Spencer Rattler. He knew that OU was was getting close to locking up Caleb Williams, number one quarterback in the class behind him. He comes in, he plays for a year, he gets some snaps, learns Oklahoma's system, and gets a chance to be coached by, ultimately, I think what people can say agree upon is the best offensive mind in college football, Lincoln Riley. But after the Cotton Bowl, he made the decision that he wanted to go elsewhere to play ball. Oklahoma did not cut this kid. He did, they did not tell him to leave. He chose to leave Oklahoma and transfer to TCU. And if there was anybody that has entered the transfer portal across college football over the past year or so, if there's anybody who should know what they were going to be getting themselves into, I think it was Chandler Morris who, like you said, Corbin, his dad is a, is a former – or he's a Division One coach. They know the rules. They definitely knew the rule. If you decide to transfer to another school inside the conference, then yes, I think that you should be required to sit out a year because that's what the rule is. And if you don't want to have to sit out a year, 
don't go or go to a different conference. Don't make the decision to transfer to TCU and then hope that the rule is going to get changed, you know, or think that you're going to get special privilege because of it. Now, guys, I don't think that this rule will exist much longer. We've already seen the ACC change it over the last couple of weeks. But here's the thing, and I want to make I kind of want to make two small points on this. People have made the claim on social media over the last couple of days. People say, well, Lincoln, you know, what are you afraid of? Because obviously this kid wasn't good enough to play over Spencer Rattler, and it doesn't look like he's going to start at TCU because Max Duggan is still there. If that's the case, why not release him? And I think that that's something that I, I kind of completely agree with. This is a PR nightmare for OU. This is kind of an uphill battle. Lincoln's not going to win. And even though Chandler Morris is the focal point in all of this, I think that Lincoln's decision – is less about the kid and more about the principal. Lincoln doesn't care about the fact that Chandler Morris, you know, knows OU system, knows the tendencies, knows the personnel. Anybody that knows the game of football and has watched film um, over the past five, six years, ever since Lincoln Riley's been in Norman, they can tell you what Oklahoma's system and what, what all of OU's tendencies are on the offensive side of the football. I mean, hell, Gary Patterson probably knows OU's offense better than Chandler Morris does uh, just because he's played against in the last five, six years. So, the, the second point that I want to make on this is, let me, let me tell you why I think that this rule needs to stay in effect. If you get rid of this, then I, I think that it's going to be open season and the transfer portal is going to become even crazier than it already is. Because let me give you some examples. At the end of the year, if B. John Robinson decides he wants to leave Texas and transfer to Oklahoma, do you think the fine folks down in Austin and Steve Sarkeesian are going to just sign off on that and release him immediately because it's ultimately the best thing for the kid? Or... If look at a guy like Caleb Williams, if he doesn't like his time in Norman this year, Spencer decides to come back for 2022. If, if Caleb decides to transfer to Oklahoma State, do you really think that Lincoln's going to be happy about losing his five-star quarterback and the former number one quarterback commit in the country uh, going to their in-state rival and team that they're going to have to play every single year moving forward? So I think that it is a slippery slope. Obviously, you I, I kind of always want to side on the on the side of the kid because, you know, Chandler Morris, that's his decision. I want him to play immediately, but I think that there has to be maybe not consequences is the right word, but you can't just openly transfer to another school that's on OU schedule in OU same conference and and not have to sit out a year. So it, am I am I too far on one side, or what, what do you what do you guys think? How can you? I think you're justifying two things that can't be can't be. Com- can't be compared. Sorry, not just fine. You're comparing two things that that are apples and oranges. You're comparing a third string quarterback from OU's roster last year to a, a starter at Texas or what we expect to be a starter at Oklahoma in a year. Those are two very, very different types of individuals. And look, look back outside of Baker who did sit out a year. Where have you seen someone who was a starter? Was it was not just like a one game thing, but like a multiple game, half season, full season starter transfer within in within conference to another school and have success. Outside of Baker, I, I can't. I'm not thinking of anybody in the Big Twelve that's been a major factor with. So here's the thing, Corbin. Like right now, you're right. That's not happening. But with uh, name, image, and likeness coming into play, I know it's going to happen in recruiting. And there's, I mean, the rules are going to be somewhat there, but they're going to get abused. And the schools with the deeper pockets are going to have bigger budgets for advertising and endorsements. And I'm doing air quotes <laughs> for those that are listening. But um, like, you know, the, the donors at Texas have deeper pockets than the ones in Norman. So who, you know, who's going to stop them and say, hey, that car dealership commercial isn't worth a $7 million payout. 
that's just, you know, the market is going to determine that. Well, in Norman, they can't pay $7 million for something like that. So who's to stop them? $7 million. I'm just just throwing a figure out there, but but who's to stop a a Texas donor from saying, Hey, Spencer transfer down to Texas. I've got, you know, a much bigger endorsement deal for you down here than you can get up in Norman. Who's going to stop that? Well, and I think that, I think that the point that I kind of want to make on this is again, we talk about Lincoln Riley's success at the quarterback position. So just focusing on that position alone, obviously only, only one player can be on the field at the quarterback position. So looking at a guy like Chandler Morris, uh, a kid that came in, spent a year learning under Lincoln Riley, kind of being groomed to be, you know, a, a, an elite college quarterback. Who, who's to say that in the years moving forward, as OU continues to to sign these guys or have these guys come in, learn under Lincoln for a year, that's got to be an appealing kid to other coaches, not just outside the conference, but especially in conference, to think that okay, well, Chandler Morris isn't going to get to play. We think that he could be an asset to our team and help us win football games. Let's not go try to incentivize this kid to come come over to Stillwater or come over to Fort Worth or come over to Waco to to play for our team. So I I just kind of think that it's a it's a double edged sword. Obviously, like I said, it is a PR nightmare that I think that ultimately Chandler Morse is going to be released. I think before the season starts, so Lincoln's kind of fighting an uphill battle. But I think that again, it's less about the kid; it's more about the principal and not having kids be able to be eligible immediately after transferring to another school within their conference. Do you guys remember in the Big 12 championship game, I think it was the first drive down where Chandler Morris had the goal line package and scored a a touchdown. Do you think that was Lincoln trying to get Chandler involved in the offense? Unrelated? Because I feel like he added a different dynamic down at the goal line, and maybe it was something he could have obviously not as much playing time as he would have liked, but at least to have a package at the goal line would have been kind of cool. It was what, it was what one play. I think it was a, a single play wrinkle. They knew they were going to run. I, I didn't see it as like a get Chandler involved. Cause I, I mean, maybe Chandler's the second string heading into this year just to keep Caleb hungry. As far as like a visual of being him being third on the depth chart. I don't think there was any question of who the future quarterback is at the university of Oklahoma. So no, I, I didn't view it that way at all. I thought it was, I, he probably could have done more with it throughout the year. If that was, if that was the, the focus Lord knows, especially early in the year goal line offense, wasn't a strong suit for this team. So, um, you know, I thought it was a wrinkle and that was about as much as I read into it, but I guess, I don't know. I, I see what you guys are saying. I just think that's an, that's an extreme scenario. Um, you may in, in your, in your vision for kind of how this could play out, Adam, we maybe see a year or two of that then. Because after that, then it's all going to go back to recruiting. And by the time guys get to campus, they're already going to pick the school of the you know, amount of dollars that they're worth uh, or that their name, image, and likeness is worth or the school thinks that their name, image, and likeness is, is worth. So you may have a year or two of that max before all of that takes place well before guys even get to campus. Um so I don't know. I'm just that's just not something I think is is right or fair. And to be honest, I think nowadays the players have more power than they ever have before. And if you can come on social media and you can go to the NCAA and you can go to your conference and say, "Hey, my coach who recruited me can pick up and leave me on my ass in whatever college town I want and go down the street and coach for another team on day one," battle's over. That's all they have to do and all they have to loop up on and, and agree on together because we are in a stage where equality is everything. 
And that is a huge, huge, huge thing that students don't have the same access to as coaches do. And you just, I think until that becomes fair, it's just, it's going to be an issue. Well, I'm in complete agreements with you on that, especially if there is a coaching change, especially a head coach. Like if, if Lincoln Riley takes a different job tomorrow, say he takes the Dallas Cowboys job, then yeah, I think it's fair that every single player on OU's roster should have a chance to transfer to another school of their choice and be eligible immediately, especially given the fact that Lincoln Riley, who was the coach that recruited them, brought them in. He's no longer on campus. You know, why, why should the kids be penalized and not, you know, why should the coaches have special privileges and be able to do things that the kids don't? So, but again, I I think that you're kind of right. It is a case-by-case basis. But again, when that rule gets changed, I think that it is kind of a dangerous precedent um, being said. And it's ultimately, it's going to make, it's going to make college football, again, it's going to be more pro player than it is pro coach and pro program. So um, that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. But uh uh, guys, let's let's dive into the uh, to the meat of the podcast, and that that is spring football. Oh, um, you got back out on the practice field earlier this week to start spring ball. Obviously, we have not had a spring camp here in college football in in two years, so it's good to kind of see some of the video, some of the content that uh, Zach Heflin crew are putting out on social media. It's good to see the guys flying around making plays. Uh, seems like we're almost returning to a little bit more of a sense of normalcy uh, across the country, and especially in the world of sports. So, guys, I, I want to start. On the offensive side of the football, kind of talking some expectations, some things that we want to see, things that um, we hope that each of these positions, each of these guys use this spring ball as a, as a way to benefit them going into 2021. And guys, let's start at the quarterback position. And for me, I think one of the storylines that, that I'm going to be following, not just in spring ball, but all the way up through the end of fall camp going into the start of the season, is how imperative it is that Spencer Rattler takes another step forward. We all know that OU's offense last year kind of took a step back, a lot of new faces at some key positions. The quarterback position wasn't what we were used to seeing with Baker and Kyler and even Jalen from a productivity standpoint and a numbers output. But I think that this allowing Spencer Rattler to have a spring camp, I think can be beneficial. So Adam, starting with you, what are a couple different areas in which you want to see either Spencer use this time to grow um, some things that he can kind of add to his arsenal. What are what are some different things that you want to see Spencer do uh, over the course of these next 15 practices? Really, I just want to see him connect with one of the receivers and have a go-to guy outside of maybe your, your Austin Stogner. Uh, Marvin Mims was probably the most consistent receiver that we had last year. Um, so I think, you know, he'll continue to grow alongside Spencer Radler. But I was really, really pleased with what we saw out of Radler last year. Early on, his decision-making wasn't the absolute best, but we could see the arm talent from day one. We could see how he could make throws anywhere on the field. Um, his accuracy was was pretty incredible. So I really liked what we saw out of him last year. Um, I just want to see him take another step as far as his overall leadership and connecting to a specific receiver and having a go-to guy or two outside of just your Austin Stogner. Yeah, it's it's consistency and it's decision making. That's the the two areas where and they probably go as one, cons, you know, consistent solid decision making. Um for as good as Spencer was throughout the year, there were some moments and call it youth call it him being, you know, second year in Norman, but could have easily swung the game in an opposite direction and although there was a throw in the Texas game that absolutely should have been picked off that resulted in 
a miracle Charles Rambo um, catch. And then there was a throw in the Big 12 championship against Iowa State that 100% should have been picked off. Marvin Mims caught it on a very similar deal. Both of those plays, if the defender catches the ball, might swing that game in the other direction, result in two additional losses on the year. Forget even you know showing up to the Big 12 championship. I don't think we would have been in at that point if you lose to Texas. Um, so there, there were moments, yeah, that were so good from Spence. And there were some times that were just hard to watch. Uh, especially down this stretch, the, the Baylor game in particular, the middle portion of the Oklahoma State game, the offense just disappeared. I mean, just just gone. Um, and so I'm not saying this is going to be a team like we saw with Kyler and Baker where you're practically scoring on every single possession. Um, but this offense has that type of skill and it needs to convert on it. And so that's the big thing for me is it's, it's consistency and it's decision-making. You can't have big mistakes if we're wanting to make the run that we hope we're on. And so that's the two things I, I, I would say need to be focused on. I think you could chalk up a huge reason why I took the offense and Spencer four or five games to, go go, to get going last year was because of the fact that we didn't have a spring football. Summer workouts were essentially non-existent with COVID going on. It was kind of a makeshift fall camp that these teams were having to go through. So Spencer, I don't think that he ever really had a chance to to gel with his teammates, to get right with his receivers. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm excited about this spring camp is the fact that he's going to have a fully healthy Jaden Hazelwood. He's going to have Marvin Mims. Trajan Bridges is ready to go. We all know about a couple of the incoming freshmen, Mario Williams. We've already heard things about him standing out so far. So him being able to use these next 15 practices – really kind of develop those relationships with his playmakers, both at the receiver and the running back position, and then also develop the relationship with the offensive line. Obviously, losing Creed Humphrey um, is a huge blow, so you're going to have some some new faces across the, across the line of scrimmage on there. So I think that these 15 practices are going to be good for Spencer. Build those relationships on the outside with your playmakers, but also – Kind of get kind of get everything down in a good place with your offensive line. That way, once you go into fall camp, you can just immediately start with your preparations for the for the opening game. And uh, we all know how special twenty twenty one can be. And if OU is going to make a run to hopefully win a national championship, it's going to be because uh, of some pretty good elite quarterback play. And Spencer's going to have to do it. So one of the th- one of the things that is Adam that you made sure that we wanted to touch on this uh, is the running back rotation. Obviously, new face coming back into the running back room, De- Demarco Murray's room, Kenneth Murray or K- Kenneth Murray. I wish he was back. Uh, Kennedy Brooks. Uh, is back Norman. He's back with the team. We've seen some good things, obviously, with some of the videos that they've put out. Uh, but just kind of talk about, Adam, what you're expecting out of the running back rotation uh, this spring, um, what DeMarco could do to maybe kind of separate a guy or two early in the pack, and uh, just kind of what are your overall expectations? Yeah, it's really more of a question that I have is what's going to happen with these running backs? We've got three main guys, I think, with Marcus Major on the outside looking in, most likely. Although I I liked some of the flashes I saw of him when he was in the game against Florida. I don't know how much stock to put in that, probably very little. But Kennedy Brooks is the real interesting one here because he sat out last year, and then the two years before that, he ran for 1,000 yards each. Now, it's easy to forget that in both of those years, in 2018, he was a redshirt freshman. He didn't have more than 15 carries until game seven on the schedule. And then the same thing happened again in 2019. He didn't have 15 or more carries until game eight. So he really didn't come on until pretty late in both of those years. So it'll be interesting to see if he is the day one guy 
or if he builds momentum as the year goes on, or maybe he's just completely passed up by some other more talented guys. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, this is one of the, the bigger question marks of the team is the, is the running back room. Um, I would love it if Kenny, Kennedy Brooks showed up and was just as productive as he was a year ago and the year before that. Um, I, should have, I have a hard time thinking that's going to be the case, at least early in the season when you've taken an entire year off football. And a year especially where you can't be – you're not just allowed to be around the team and in the weight room because you decided to take off. Like you, you weren't allowed in the facility at all. Um, or at least that's how it was supposed to go down. Who knows? Um, but I think that that has to, to be a factor. You can't just step away for a year from football and, and, and not take some time. I know we've got a, a, a spring, you know, full spring slate, full, you know, summer to, to get back, you know, into football shape and, and to get all that back. But I don't know. I wonder about that a lot. I, I have high hopes for Eric Gray. He had solid stats over his first two years in Tennessee. Odds are he he was most likely playing against better defensive lines in the SEC than what he'll be seeing in Norman. I think that's probably a fair assessment, even though he was in the SEC East. Um, and then, yeah, Major McGowan, I'm – Tell you what, I think so far both of them in their careers at Oklahoma have just kind of always been passed up. Um, and I think that's going to be the same this year. But with a running back room that's that thin, both those guys better stay ready. Because if, if Brooks or Eric Gray, you know, go down, it's going to be a next man up and a very thin running back room. It's never a bad thing when you can add uh, a player back into that position group that's had back to back thousand yard rushing seasons and Kennedy Brooks. So I feel like his fans, we know what his ceiling is. Obviously, can he get back to that performance level after taking a year off away from the game? We'll see. Eric Gray is a guy that I'm extremely excited about, not just because of what he can do carrying the rock in between the in between the tackles, but what he can do in the passing game. We all know how creative Lincoln was when he had a versatile back, you know, like like Joe Mixon who could catch the ball out of the backfield. I think just by looking at his tape over the past few years at Tennessee, He's very elusive, very uh, – he's a you know tremendous playmaker whenever he's got the ball in his hands coming out of the backfield in the passing game. So um, very excited about what, what Eric Gray is going to be able to do, kind of a shifty, almost kind of like a Roy Finch type back, but maybe a little bit better. Um, obviously, I hope he is a little bit better um, when talking about this national title run. Yeah, let me ask you guys. One thing I think maybe doesn't get spoken on enough is Kenny Brooks had two great seasons – he was also behind two really good offensive lines. And there are some question marks to this offensive line, um, and, and rightfully so. When we faced big physical opponents, I don't remember Kennedy being the guy. And so I am curious heading into this year where the offensive line may take a few games, as all Beaton Bowes lines typically do. I just wonder how impactful he's going to be um, if the line isn't as good as what we've seen. I think last year was, was a, was a bad example, but as good as we've seen in the past under coach Biedenboe, if, if it's not there, I do wonder how much of an impact because he is a, a one hole and go. He's not a guy who's going to shake and shimmy and make guys miss. The line's important here when it comes to Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. Not only that, but when he was in the backfield the previous two years, he wasn't even the number one running threat that the defense was concerned about. It was Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. So Spencer Rattler doesn't, I mean, he can run a little bit, but he's not anywhere close to the dynamic threat that either of those guys are. 
So is he able to have the same type of success when everyone's keen on him from a run perspective? As we all know with Bill Beanbow's group, it typically takes up till the week of the Texas game for that offensive line to fully be in sync and gelled and ready to go. That's why I'm really excited about the Seth McGowan kid. Obviously, four-star kid coming out of high school, ESPN top 100 player. I think that very similar to what we saw from Spencer last year, not being able to have a spring practice and kind of a makeshift fall camp, kind of put him behind the eight ball, maybe didn't prepare him for his first true season of football in a way that I think he is going to be able to do this year. Uh, we, we've seen, obviously, the videos that Benny Wiley's been putting out. He has been getting after in the weight room, putting on some pretty good size and muscle. So I think him being able to go through an entire offseason, watch out for Seth McGowan going into next year. I think that that could be a good one-two punch with maybe a guy like Eric Gray. And like I said, who knows what we're going to get from Kennedy Brooks. Um, but uh, again, I, I think that a lot of fans may be a little bit hesitant about what to expect from the off, from the running back position, but I think that DeMarco's got a pretty good group, a lot of different guys that can do a few different things depending on who's in there. So, uh, But again, back to what you guys were saying, it all comes down on the offensive side of the football. What can the big boys up front do? It all starts with the O-line. We know that Bill Beanbow, that's what he's known for. The OU, Oklahoma is O-line U for a reason. So guys, obviously losing Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely, you know, two of your more experienced guys on that offensive line. Adam, to throw it back to you, kind of what are you expecting the offensive line to look like maybe week one against Tulane? And then I guess the better question is, what do you want the offensive line to look at? Who do you want to see thrown out there in that starting five week one? It's been two years and Eric Swenson still gets starts at left tackle. So my expectations aren't super high. I think there will probably be at least one guy on the offensive line that's starting that will have us scratching our heads. But I think, I think we'll get a little bit more back to normal. There was a lot of strange things going on last year, obviously. And I think it affected the offensive line probably the most out of any position group because I mean, they returned some, some starters with some good talent um, last year and they still struggled throughout the year. So um, I, I think this unit will look a lot better, especially as the season goes on, especially with a more experienced quarterback playing behind them that will end up making them look a little bit better as well. So I think that they'll gel and they'll be a little bit closer to what we saw in, in 2018 and 19 versus what we saw in 2020. Yeah, I'm curious to where the leadership comes from on this offensive line. You would like it to be from a guy like a Chris Murray, at least, you know, he's the center position has control of that offensive line throughout the games. But, you know, this is only his second year in Norman. You would like it to be some of those older guys like an Eric Swinson. But let's be honest, I think we're all hoping that these younger offensive linemen come and take take some of these spots from the older guys. So I, I'm, I'm really curious about that. Um, I think at least we'll know this offensive line is going to be in shape heading into this season, which I don't think they were last year, and not to anyone's fault, just kind of the way things played out. Um but there doesn't necessarily seem to be this line, at least from what I'm seeing so far of knowing who's going to come back. And the fact that some of those younger guys didn't take the step forward to take some of the positions that we think were up for grabs. It, it does make me worry about the eliteness, let's say of this line heading into next year. I hope I'm wrong. We, I, we need, we need me to be wrong, but I do, I do wonder about that. Going into 2021, the lineup that I expect to see out there, 
is quite a bit different than the lineup that I that I want to see out there. Um, looking back at it, I think that you could, it's probably a pretty clear consensus that the expectations for week one against Tulane is you're going to have Wanya Morris at left tackle, Marquise Hayes at left guard. Chris Murray is probably going to be your starting center. I think we can all agree on that. Tyrese Robinson is a returning starter at the right guard position. And then the right tackle losing Adrian Ely. It's probably a safe bet that Eric Swenson, being the redshirt senior, being his ninth year on campus, that's probably going to be who Bill Beanbow trots out there. Now, from a talent standpoint, an athletic standpoint, and who I think probably is just the best all-around five offensive lineman that, that Bill Beanbow could trot out there, I like Wanya Morris at the left tackle position. I think that's probably one that we can all agree on. That's where he's going to firmly uh, you know, cement his footsteps in. Left guard for me, Marquise Hayes. I think that he's probably OU's most underrated offensive lineman. I don't think he's gotten enough credit over the last couple of years. Chris Murray's going to be your start and center. For me, at the right guard position, I think is where it gets a little it gets a little fun. I think this is the year where you could see a guy like Andrew Rain take over that starting position at right guard. Maybe Tyrese Robinson moves back to that number two spot on the depth chart. And then for me, right tackle, I want the youth. I want the athleticism out there on the edge. I want to see Anton Harrison out there at the right tackle position. Obviously, um, was kind of splitting was kind of splitting snaps last year at the left tackle position with Swinson. He's he's has a chance to move back over to the right side of the offensive line, a position that he was uh, he's used to, played a lot of it in high school. So I think that those are probably your five most athletic offensive linemen, and I, I would expect. Um, hopefully by the Texas game, we could hopefully be seeing at least four to five of those guys uh, across the uh, across the line of scrimmage there. So, guys, last question before we switch over to defense real quick. One of the things that I heard talked about um, earlier this week was kind of forecasting who the receiving leaders are going to be, not just at the receiver position. You can factor in tight ends, H-backs, running backs. But, Corbin, to throw this to you, if you were to rank the top three or four guys who you think are going to lead the team in receiving yards this year, it's March 25th. Who would round out your top four here? It's a great question. I have no clue. Genuinely no clue. Um, I, I was trying to take a look back at, at Lincoln's offenses over the past few years, and he's he's never been a guy who just spreads the ball around evenly. But with this depth, especially at the wide receiver position, that's what you would expect because we have there's so many talented players there, at least on paper. I mean, I would have to think Marvin Mims takes a step back this year with the emergence of Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges into the lineup. Um, are we including tight ends here? You can include everybody on offense. Give me, uh, give me Trajan Bridges one. Me Austin Stogner two, um, Marvin Mims three. And that's a tough four spots. You got some H backs that could could really squeeze in that spot too, and running backs. But I'll probably uh, I have no reason to think that another wide receiver is going to be that high based on what Lincoln's offenses have done in the past. It's always been a one or two man system, and then supporting cast. The, the closest thing I think we'd have is probably 2017, back when CD and Marquise were both really, really young. And so the ball had to be spread around. After that, I mean, you go 2015 with Sterling Shepard, 2016, D.D. Westbrook, 2018, I think that's an asterisk year. CD and Marquise both over 1,000 yards. 2019, it was the CD Lamb show. And last year was, it was Marvin Mims and Austin Stogner. This offense has never been a spread it to every, everyone evenly. 
I, I don't know who would fit in that fourth spot, but I think it's going to be substantially lower than those top three. For me, I would have to put Marvin Mims first. And I actually think the opposite of you, Corbin. I think he steps up being a second year guy, having a spring, having a full fall camp, having, uh, you know, already chemistry there with Spencer Radler. I think he's a very smart player. He has a really high football IQ, where to, you know, sit in the zone, how to get open. And so I think that's going to bode well for him. I think Lincoln will find a lot of ways to use him. And then second, I would put Stogner. He's been that security blanket. So I'm erring more on, you know, track record of what we saw from last year as my first two guys. And then from there, it kind of gets wide open. I'll go Jaden Hazelwood as my third, just because we think he has a ton of talent. I would still like to see him actually prove it. Um, and then fourth, uh, give me Eric Gray, a little dark horse candidate here. I think he could get a lot of receiving yards off of like shovel passes and maybe like some jet sweeps and things like that that are more like running plays. But he could, I think, sneak in there uh, in fourth place. Bridges is one that's really interesting to me because I really can't remember hardly anything that he's ever done on the offensive side of the ball. And that's partly because he, didn't, he, he didn't play. Yeah, he hasn't had opportunities. <laughs> Uh, this, everyone, is, this is Adam's argument going back to like the Mount Rushmore of, of Norman restaurants. They're like, <laughs> I haven't been to Ben Venuti, so I can't compare it. Jaden and Drayden didn't play last year, so I can't compare it. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't have I don't have any good, like substantial like data to go on. That's how I make my decisions. So <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Everyone says Trajan Bridges Bridges is good. Well, like Let's see it. I know he hasn't had much opportunities, but let's see it before we start, you know, believe should have played anyway Adam, last year. Should have played anyway. <laughs> Adam's a numbers. Adam's an analytics guy. Uh, I, I think you've been looking at my notes, Adam, because number one for me, I've got Marvin Mims too. I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think he takes another step forward. I've got Jaden Hazelwood, number two for me. He's back fully healthy. I think that probably from a pure talent overall skill standpoint at the receiver position, he's probably your number one. Can he be productive? Can we get the same level uh, of production out of him like we did with C.D. Lamb or a Sterling Shepard? I don't know. Uh, but, again, he's back to being fully healthy. I don't expect um, I don't expect otherwise as far as him being able to have a pretty good year. Number three, I've got Austin Stogner. I don't know if he's going to have a ton of yards, but I think that he is probably going to lead the team in touchdowns. He's a huge red zone weapon. Uh, he's a tremendous matchup no matter who you've got guarding him. And then just like what you said, Adam, I've got Eric Gray, number four, also kind of a dark horse, maybe a sleeper pick. You know, you've got a lot of other good guys like Trajan Bridges, Mario Williams, a few others that you could choose from. Uh, but I think that his versatility, what he's going to be able to do catching the ball out of the backfield, I think that's going to be a huge weapon that Lincoln didn't have. Uh, at his disposal last year consistently. So I've got Eric Gray at number four. And guys, to me, this receiving core, it kind of in a way reminds me of what we saw from the LSU team that was so good a few years ago. Now, not necessarily from the fact that these guys are proven like a Jamar Chase, like Jefferson was, a couple of the other guys. But I think from a talent standpoint and just looking at it from a recruiting and stars and ratings, this is going to be OU's most talented receiving core that they've had Honestly, I don't even know how far you would have to go back, but probably easily over the last six, seven years. I mean, the fact that you are going to have Mims, Hazelwood, Mario Williams, Trajan Bridges, all those guys are five stars. I mean, you can even throw Drake Stoops in there. He's a consistent figure. But I think from top to bottom, I think that this is going to be the most talented receiving core that OU's had. And if you can get all of those guys to play at a high level, I think that this could be a situation where 
you're not going to maybe have one guy leading the pack head and shoulders above everybody else because you're not going to be able to double up everybody. You're not going to be able to throw a safety over the top uh, and double a guy like Marvin Mims on the outside just because there's so much good talent across the line of scrimmage that OU is going to have uh, the ability, a lot of different weapons to play with. So uh, those are the top four for me. It's going to be fun to watch what Lincoln does now that he does have all of those weapons back at his disposal. Uh, Corbin, you got your hand up there. Yeah, quick question. Uh, over under one and a half, how many thousand yard receivers on the year? Over. Oh. <laughs> Interesting sure. that none of us uh, none of us mentioned Theo Weiss's name here. And he yeah. was kind of the leading receiver in several games last year. Uh, thought of as kind of a go-to guy, but he really faded hard. Not saying so that I, he's not going to be. Under. What did you guys have? I've got uh, over. Uh, give me the under on that. That's hard to, to get multiple guys at a thousand yards, especially with so much talent. Like you were saying, Tyler, there's, I mean, this could be the deepest room that we've had in a while and it's very diverse. Like Jane Hazelwood is six, three, you know, Marvin Mims is a smaller speeder, you know, speedier type of guy. Bridges is an elusive speedier guy. You've just got so many different types of receivers too. Yeah. And, and again, if, if this team goes as far as what I think that they can play in 13, 14, 15 games, I mean, this, this offense is going to be loaded. If Spencer, if Spencer takes that next step and he's as efficient and plays the quarterback position as well, throwing the football as Baker and Kyler did, I mean, there's, the, the, there's so many weapons. I, as much talent as there is in that room, I think that we could hopefully see at least one to two guys uh, eclipse the thousand yard mark. So guys, let's move over here to the defensive side of the football real quick. Um, it is fun to talk about defense being played at the University of Oklahoma again, something that we haven't been able to talk about, um, honestly, in quite some time since pre-Mike Stoops or I guess all the way back to Mike Stoops' first go-around here in Norman. So starting on the defensive line, Jamar Kane, Coach Tibbs' groups. When you look at the amount of players that are coming back, obviously losing Ronnie Perkins to the NFL, that's a huge loss, but you're getting a guy back in Jalen Redmond. Could this 2020 excuse me, could this 2021 defensive line be the best group that OU's had since the days of Tommy Harris, Dan Cody, Dusty Dvorak collectively, or still think that's a whole other level um, that, that OU should be striving to get to? I think that's a tall ask there. I mean, there were some pretty good defenders uh, right around the, you know, 20 or probably 2007, 08, you know, turn where we had Gerald McCoy and Adrian Taylor and Austin English and Jeremy Beal. So some really good players in that era as well. That's, I mean, there's some good players on this team. And I think the biggest strength is that we have so much depth that they're fresh and they're able to contribute, you know, at a high level throughout the game. But that's tough. Those are some All-Americans you're, you're comparing them against. Yeah, 09 was the year I highlighted. Uh, Austin English, Frank Alexander, Adrian Taylor, Demarcus Granger, Gerald McCoy, Jeremy Beal, and David King. Um, you know, that's, at least in the past couple of decades, that's a pretty salty D-line for OU. I think this has a better chance of being similar to that than what we saw, you know, early 2000s. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a lot better, but... I, I think you could at least make an argument for 09, but but not not that group you mentioned, Tyler. Your starting four is going to be Nick Benito coming off the edge, Jalen Redmond. Obviously, you lose a guy like Ronnie Perkins being able to plug Jalen Redmond back in, a guy that I think probably has, I don't know if a higher ceiling than, than Ronnie Perkins does, but you take into consideration the fact that he he's only been playing football three or four years, but he has a high motor. He's a tremendous athlete. Getting him back uh, – Perion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, I think that those two guys are probably all American candidates to start the year. 
I'm very excited about not just the starting lineup, but I think that from a depth perspective, um, uh, Jamar Kane and Coach Tibbs, they got a lot of tools to play with in that room, and I think it's going to be fun. There's definitely not going to be any – I don't think that you're going to be able to look out there and see any drop in production from this group as the game goes on, no matter who's in there uh, as as we see it. So moving back to the linebacker position, again, we'll we'll dive into all this as we get closer to the season, a little bit more depth, but – the linebacker position for me is probably the one spot on the defensive side of the football where I don't know if cause for concern is the right one, but I maybe have a few more questions about this group. I don't know who the starters are going to be. I think that there's three or four guys that um, have played pretty, pretty well over the last couple of years that could solidify themselves as a starter. You get Caleb Kelly back. So Corbin, starting with you, what does the linebacker position look like? What are you expecting and hoping to see this position group do in spring ball? I think more than anything is have guys step up in the the two deep spot. Um, the, the depth at first glance doesn't look promising. If a David Aguebu, Brian Asamoa, uh, Nick Benito, if any of those guys, you know, unfortunately were to miss any games, I don't love what's behind them at the moment. I think there's promise there from some of the young guys, but you know, they have to go out and, and show that that's the case. So you know, Grinch is going to give. The two deep system as many opportunities as he can to make sure that you know there's plenty of depth in that position. Give the young guys, and I especially think with the non-conference schedule, no real big you know game to to highlight there. Uh, there will be plenty of opportunity to get those young guys plenty of game experience, so that when conference play comes around. But um, but yeah, I think that that's got to be the focus is is building depth behind. I agree, Tyler. I don't think you know exactly who the starters are, but I think you've got a pretty good idea. Um, of at least those top three or four guys that are going to be in that starting role. Um, so I think everything that's important as far as this spring is concerned is building behind them. I'm not as concerned about the depth. I think you can sharpie in Brian Mead for about 20 snaps a game. And that's <laughs> I was just solve. about to say y'all are sleeping <laughs> on him. Uh, I mean, I guess he's still on the roster, um, taking uh, advantage of that extra year of eligibility, but I mean, I look at the roster and I see Brian Osimo. I think he can play Deshaun White. I think we may have his ceiling. It's solid. It's not spectacular, but I think he's somewhat dependable. Uh, you've got David Aguebu, who continues to get better, it seems like, every single game. And then Caleb Kelly, who we know has some talent. He's got some some great size as well. He's very experienced. But... Um, Throw it up your hands at me. You're not a Caleb Kelly guy. Last year, I don't get this at all. <laughs> well, I, I think my my thing with Caleb Kelly is is I don't know really what you can expect to see. Like he has he has the talent. He had all the hype coming in, but we haven't even really seen what he can do in an Alex Grinch defense. So um, that's uh, he's he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think he can play. I mean, we've seen flashes from him way back in like 2016, 2017. It's been so he's been here so long. Um, but I think he, I think he can do some stuff. And then you've got some younger guys behind them, and Shane Witter and Danny Stutzman, who people are, are pretty high on as well. So I don't think I'm not as concerned about the depth at linebacker. I'm more interested in seeing who's going to step up and be a star or be a playmaker because we really didn't have that last year. It was the defensive line and the cornerbacks that were stealing the show. And so if like a David Aguebu can, even if he's not taking you know every single snap like a Kenneth Murray was but can he have an impact on a game like Kenneth Murray did or something close to that that's what I want to see I don't have any questions about 
probably the top four to five guys. I think that OU is going to be extremely talented with who they trot out there in the two deep. And then obviously what's, what's a guy like Danny Stutzman going to be able to do? How fast is he going to be able to get up to speed? Jamal Morris is another guy that nobody talks about. He's putting on weight. He's in a new position group. And then I don't know what you're going to expect from Caleb, what you can expect from Caleb Kelly coming off two ACL injuries. But if there's one guy on this team that I'm hoping and cheering for to, to make an impact this season, it's Caleb Kelly. After all he's gone through over the past couple of years, um, really hope to see him. If he's not a starter, would love to see him make a big-time play, maybe like an OU-Texas game or something, uh, kind of swing the momentum back. So, uh, but, but, guys, out of I, I'm so excited about this 2021 team. And honestly, for me, the room that I'm super excited to see how that plays out is the secondary. And I have no, again, just like what we were talking about with the defense as a, as a whole, when's the last time we were excited about the OU secondary group coming into a year? I mean, the days of the the five foot eight, the five foot nine players back there playing five, 10 yards off the football, that's kind of gone. So, um, Adam, starting, starting, I guess, with the cornerback position or really just even take this uh, in whatever direction you want to go, who are the guys that you expect to see out there? Maybe who would you want to see out there? Um, whenever it comes time for OU to line up against Tulane. Yeah, I think we'll probably see a cornerback of Woody Washington and DJ Graham on the other side of the field. And then I would really like to see Justin Harrington at nickel, but I it sounds like they're really impressed with Jeremiah Cradell. So I think he'll probably be your nickel. And then at your safety positions, I think you're going to have uh, DeLaren Turner yell. And then that other safety spot is interesting. Everyone seems to have written off Pat Fields. He's not participating in spring, so everyone's saying, no, he's going to get passed over. I'm just not quite sure who's going to take hold of that position. I know everyone's really excited about Key Lawrence, uh, the transfer from Tennessee. He's going to be a true sophomore. So I I don't know necessarily he's necessarily going to completely take that position, uh, but it's certainly wide open there. Your guess is as good as as mine, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. What what a uh, not not even a bad way, but like what a huge question mark position. Just the secondary as as a group, there are plenty of guys, and, and I think that is a position where you're not worried about depth, but you're worried about who's going to emerge and take those spots and and you know be game changers on the back end. I'm not overly con- convinced that like the time has, has changed in Norman and, and we've got an elite secondary. I'm not there because of how dominant the outside linebackers and the D line was last year. That changes everything when you have a powerful um, and an impactful defensive line. It makes everything easier in the game. But yeah, I I, I don't know who's going to be starting outside of DTY. I, I, I couldn't name you one. But I'm like, yep. Starting spot. I can't. Um, so I'm super curious to kind of see. And then, you know, Justin Harrington's been practicing at corner to start spring ball. And we all thought that he was a shoe in for a safety spot. So I, I'm super intrigued by how that's going to play out. And I think it will probably take a few games for things to iron out on that front. So we'll probably be pretty confused for a while. It's the same thing that it is every year. It seems like with every position, you get it. You try to get everything figured out before OU Texas. Once you go into the Cotton Bowl, you want to kind of have everything solidified. This this is a position group for me that I'm really excited about, just because of the upgrade in talent that that, we, that we've seen in this room. What what uh, Coach Grinch and what Roy Manning have been able to gather in this in this room over the past couple years. 
for me, my ideal secondary, and again, probably I could be way off. I like Woody Washington in a corner, played extremely well last year. DJ Graham came on strong at the end, give him another year, give him a full spring ball, something that he too didn't have again last year. I think he has a chance to take another step. And then that's when the other three positions, the two safety spots and the nickel, that's where it gets interesting for me. I think one safety spot is locked up. I think DTY has kind of got that on on lock, uh, has played extremely well over the past few years, probably uh, a guy that's played the most snaps out of anybody on that defense um, over the past three or four years. And then I've got the two newcomers, the the guys that I want to see out there. At that nickelback position, I know Cridell's been getting a lot of run, has been getting a lot of hype. Obviously, if he turns out to be the starter, for good reason. Alex Grinch believes in him a lot. I think Justin Harrington is built extremely well to play that nickelback position. A guy that can run with a receiver, whoever you put in the slot, has the size to compete with the tight end that goes out there like a Charlie Kolar, somebody that OU is going to uh, see a pretty pretty big dose of whenever Iowa State comes to Norman this year. And then at that safety position, I know that Pat Fields is a captain. He's consistent. He's one of those players where if you're not hearing him being mentioned, he's probably playing pretty well. I think that Key Lawrence, from an an athleticism standpoint, I think that that can be a huge upgrade at that position if he's able to get things down uh, mentally upstairs, if he can figure out this defense in a matter of six, eight months. If he can get that down, you've got Woody Washington, DJ Graham on the outsides, DTY, Key Lawrence on the back end, and then you can let Justin Harrington kind of roam at that nickelback position, drop off in coverage, maybe come up on the line. I think that there's a lot of really cool things that uh, Alex Grinch is going to be able to do with that group. And we haven't even talked about a guy like Jaden Davis, who's kind of flying under the radar. He, you know, he's kind of the forgotten guy in this situation, you know, especially with what we're hearing about Latrell McCutcheon, the incoming freshman, the former five-star before tearing his ACL. He was an Alabama kid at one point. So, a lot of talent, a lot of tools in this room. It's going to be a fun, exciting uh, matchup to see. Um, whenever the spring game plays out here in a couple weeks, um, that's going to be one position group that I'm going to be really excited to see. So um, that's about as in-depth of a spring football preview as we can do. Obviously, uh, only a couple practices in the books right now. But again, guys, it's just nice to be talking some ball again. Lots to look forward to going into 2021. Yeah, pumped for the spring game. We got a, time, a game time today. and um, I'll do it. Uh, everyone kind of hates on the spring game because it's not interesting and there's – too many, you know, walk-ons playing. I love it. I, I don't care. Uh, you know, I want to see the young guys, see what they can do and get irrationally excited about some random fifth string running back that is averaging 10 yards a carry in the spring game. Bring it on. Well, I, I think that we look at the spring game probably a lot different than than most fans do just because, you know, most fans, you know, they want to see Rattler play. They want to see what's Theo Weiss going to do. Rattler's probably going to play what? one, two quarters maybe, then you're going to see Caleb Williams. I love the spring game because I, I'm not as I'm not as stressed out. I'm not as tuned into it like I am on a regular season game. And also, I like the spring game because it gives me the ability to see the young guys, see what those kids can do, how they can move around. So um, it, it's going to be fun watching it 4 o'clock on, uh, here in just a few weeks under the lights. Uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun to see. So Lights are always on. All right, one <laughs> question. One question. Um, from both of you, and I've already got one off the top of my head, an absurd take that will happen after the spring game is completed, one that makes no sense. And for me, it's very easy for exactly the reason you just mentioned. Spencer's not going to play a lot, and I actually don't think Caleb Williams is going to play a lot. And Micah Bowens is going to have an incredible day, and he's going to be sprinting all over the field. You know it's going to happen because nobody's going to touch him. 
And all of a sudden we're going to start to hear this like, oh, next year, I wonder if Micah Bowens is going to be, you know, a potential starter over Caleb Williams. Just watch it. I guarantee that's going to happen. I'd say for me, it's probably going to be some younger guy. Uh, I know we're all really pumped about Billy Bowman. Maybe he has some really flashy plays. And oh, we didn't even talk about him. Didn't even talk about him. He could potentially get a quite a bit of playing time, but there's usually someone that's really young that has a really big game and everyone gets really pumped, but then the season rolls around and they're really not quite ready to contribute on a full-time basis. So I'm curious to see who that might be. I guess my bold prediction is going to be because you're, I, I doubt Kennedy Brooks probably even plays all that much. Probably the same could be said for Eric Gray. They've got the experience. They've played in a lot of games. They don't need to risk the injury bug. For me, I think that you're going to see a guy like Marcus Major or maybe even a Mikey Henderson have a big breakout performance in the running game. Like Marcus Major might take it 80 yards to the house. Then I think that that kind of creates some more, um, conversation you can kind of stir the pot a little bit about what that running back room is going to be able to do and uh but 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 again it, it's hard not to see uh, like what we saw a few years ago where you know baker plays like crap the first quarter of the spring game does horribly and then i guess it was trevor knight that lit it up the rest of the way and uh but again who, who knows what we're going to see but you can definitely bet on the fact there's going to be some pretty hilarious takes from the OU fan base. Uh, and you can find most of those on Facebook, I'm pretty sure. So, guys, anything else before we get out of here? Sweet. All right. Well, again, appreciate you guys for listening. It's nice to be talking ball again. OU football, spring football, it is back in full effect. That means we are getting closer and closer to September uh, against Tulane. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, but, again, appreciate you guys for listening. As always, you can find all of our stuff on Apple, on Spotify. Go subscribe. Give us a like. Give us a five-star review. And as always, we appreciate you guys for listening, and we will be back here again next week. Corbin, Adam, myself, Tyler, thank you guys for listening, and we will be back again for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.